Amen and amen. You know, as a quick reminder, if you need to get uh, the Lord's the Lord's Supper, uh, it is in the back if need if you need one. You know, we read the, the the scripture like that because, you know, to be honest, that's more important than what I say. Because we're all bound by the word of God. Well, as you know, I like to encourage you to to pray and read. Well, you know, in your bulletin, you have this awesome little pamphlet which uh, talks about the week of prayer of international missions that you can start praying with someone this week. It's a seven-day thing that you can pray every day. If you don't know what to pray about or want something new, here you go. Pray, use this to pray. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to read the Word of God. So I encourage you to read Psalm 118, verse 24 this week. And to really dwell on that passage, to really dwell on Psalm 118, verse 24, every day with everything that's going on in your day and everything that's going on in the world. Go back to that verse and read it and see how the Lord speaks to you. Psalm 118, verse 24. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today uh, so grateful that you love us. Lord, this, there's no reason why you should love us, but yet you do, and you have sent your Son to expose and reveal that love. God, I pray that we, we're just overcome by that amazing grace that, uh, that you have over us. And I pray that we take that message out to the world. I pray that today we can be encouraged in that message. God, be... Be with us to to convict our minds and our hearts and our souls of the sins in our life. Things that we don't even realize that we've been doing, that we think they're just normal, that's part of life. Lord, Lord, we pray that you're able to expose the sins so we can repent of them and cling to the cross. And remember that we have been forgiven by Jesus. God, we ask that you also be with all the the churches and the Christians and the missionaries meeting around the world. That you be with them and and, and encourage them and and help them know that we're in this together. Though we are able to meet freely, there are other places where they can't. That we are, though we're in this together and we're praying for unity and encouragement and that your word just continues to go out, that they don't become disheartened. God, uh, we ask, too, that you just remind us that everything is going according to your plan. Lord, it is hard to see. It's hard to comprehend at times. But, Lord, let us remember the cross, for at that time, too, people couldn't comprehend that you were in control, and yet you were creating a mighty work, something that was unfathomable, that changed the world. Thank you for the gospel. Now, Lord, fill us with love, hope, and peace so we can live out the faith consistently before you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You know, the, the, the gospel is, is wondrous in its message uh, because it says, you know, Jesus Christ came to offer forgiveness for your sins. You know, he has, he has come to give you eternal life and to set you free from this world of sin and death and decay. You know, if you place your faith in Christ, you do not have to face the eternal wrath of God in hell. That's great news. You know, but rather you can experience his 
only his love and his favor and his blessings in this life and the next if you place your faith in Christ. This joyful message says we don't have to be binded by our sins. We don't have to be defined by our sins. But we can be free from the power of sin in our life by faith in Christ. It's a message that says God loves sinners so much that he sent his son to die in their place, taking their wrath, paying off their debt of sin so they can be brought into his eternal family for all eternity. Through faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, death doesn't hold any power over us now. Sin holds no power over us now. For God is with us and he is working all things for our good in him. But that is not just all. That's not just all that the the message of the gospel gives or not all that the, the gospel offers. It also gives something that this world currently, currently does not want us to have or to realize that we have by faith in Christ. It wants to keep this message quiet. The gospel message brings healing and restoration and unity, not only between God and man, but also between men themselves. This gospel message of grace brings the victory of Christ that not only restored us to God by faith in him, but has also broken down the walls of separation between mankind through faith in him. No matter our our broken history with each other because of racial issues or political views or medical practices or moral, moral failures in each other's eyes, That no matter how horrible our past is or how horrible our past was to each other in whatever capacity or how inconsistent our practices of life are with each other, the gospel of God's grace reveals that through faith in Christ, we can be unified as one in him. It states that Christ has overcome all the obstacles to make us a one people of God. That through faith in Christ, the cross has stripped away any type of segregation or division or isolation that was upon us. When we place our faith in Christ, we are the one people of God with differences, of course, but we are one family of the Lord, no matter our age, our gender, our nationality, or our past, or our life circumstances. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes peace between man and God and between man and man. This is why the gospel is such good news, such joyful news, for the gospel of God's grace is the answer that this world needs to hear and the answer to which we all hold on to so dearly through faith in Christ because he is our peace that brings true unity. And it's this unifying message that Paul has been hitting hard in Ephesians, specifically in chapter 2. He has been on this course saying that both Jews and Gentiles have been made one, one people, one family of God through faith in Christ. And it has been that oneness, the one people aspect, the one family of God through faith in Christ that has been hard to grasp back then because it was so seemingly scandalous that not that God would save Gentiles, but he would bring them along into his family with the Jews. And not just by adopting 
the, uh, but by making both Jews and Gentiles into a one new family in Christ. Or as Paul has said in chapter 2, verse 5, that he might create himself a new man in place of the two. That was the controversial part that Paul was proclaiming here that there was no segregation or division amongst the Jews and Gentiles if they have faith in Christ. Some of you are like, okay, what? so? Let me make this more practical on a level that we can understand of how astonishing this really is. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals that he has died, follow me here, that he has died so that murderers, terrorists, abusers, racists, sexist, the list can go on and on. Whatever horrible sin that you can think of that curdles your blood, that you have a hard time even contemplating, let alone mentioning or even thinking that goes on, that that people can possibly do in this world that that you don't want to associate with because it's so disgusting and nasty and wretched. Whatever that is that disturbs you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's grace reveals that Christ has come so that they, those people, can accept him by faith and be brought into his one family of God with you as their brother or sister in Christ. So you and they can receive the exact same blessings that you now get. All the love, favor, and peace, and joy of God in their heart. Equally just as you. The gospel reveals that if they accept Christ by faith, those people, that nasty, disgust, they deserve to die. That if you accept Christ by faith, you are unified with them equally before God if they accept Jesus. And have peace with them as their family, as their family members in Christ here on earth and in heaven for eternity. The gospel reveals that he loves sinners. Yes, even the seemingly worst ones than you the worst ones in your eyes, and that through faith in His Son, He has established peace between God and man and between men and men. The gospel is truly mind-bending, but also liberating. It breaks down walls. That's the astonishing truth that Paul is proclaiming here and dealing with when he says both Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ and that salvation is offered to all people. Puts it in a whole different perspective. So with all this in mind then, as we look at chapter 3 of Ephesians, today we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6. I know it's a lot, but it's 1 through 6. So today's title is Dwell on the mystery of Christ now revealed. So Paul starts off then in verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, 
Now, because of all he has just said in chapter 2 through faith in Christ, of Jews and Gentiles now, our fellow citizens of heaven, they're equally uh, God's family, they're unified as his temple, which is just astonishing. Paul then begins to pray for them. And by him saying, I, Paul, he's, he's becoming very endearing here and, and is wanting them to see that he's being friendly with them in a direct manner. Like he's prepping them to see that what he says next is, is not said with a grimace on his face, but with a comforting smile of endearment as, as a fellow brother in Christ with them. So what is he preparing them for they don't, they, so they don't take it wrongly? He says, I... Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So with this friendly smile towards the church, which is directed towards the Gentiles now, Paul reveals something and and prays something very particular here that, that needs not to be overlooked. And this brings us to our very first point. Dwell on the mystery of Christ now, revealed because it gives you true direction and purpose. Now, it is indeed true that when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He speaks about this again even more descriptively later in the book of Ephesians of chapter 6, verse 20, and says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So you can kind of get this mental picture that Paul is behind bars, all chained up as he's writing this letter. But the way Paul worded his prayer here in verse 1 that he starts Uh, a prisoner of Jesus, it carries these kind of deep truths with it. What Paul is doing here is a bit of a wordplay to reveal to all that though he's in physical prison, he's actually a free man. Now notice that, yes, he's in prison, but he did not say he's a prisoner of Caesar. He did not say he's a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of his accusers. No, he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now why does that matter? Well, what he's saying is that he belongs to Jesus, that Christ alone is the one who owns him and who is over his life now and no one else. So though he may be in physical prison, the government did not own him, nor did they ultimately put him in there. No, Jesus was his Lord and the director of his life now. So the reason why he was in there was because of his faith in Christ. And Christ had him in there as part of his sovereign plan. Meaning that whatever may come his way, no matter how painful or how strange or how uncomfortable it may be, he knew it was only because of the mighty sovereign hand of his Lord that was upon his life now. For he belonged to Jesus by faith alone, and nothing would ever change or uproot that. Man was not in charge of his life. God alone was. So him being in physical prison was not a shameful thing, but actually a very noble thing, because it revealed to all that Christ was his Lord, And that Christ was the savior of mankind, which is why he says, on behalf of you Gentiles. He wasn't looking for sympathy or pity in bringing this up. No, he was wanting them to be encouraged in the truth that God loves both Jews and Gentiles alike now through faith in Christ. He says, look, we are in this together as a family of God. I am here because of the gospel truth that you now belong to God by faith in Christ. And I am committed to declaring this gospel truth, even if that means I have to go to physical prison, because, as I said, I am a prisoner of Christ. So whatever he wills for me, it's worth it, because it's the truth. See, Paul had been truly set free by this gospel message. So it was 
Christ then who truly defines who he is, not the world. It was Christ who truly defines his life circumstances, not the world. So, whatever, so no matter what happens, he would always declare the gospel of Christ because Christ is where he found all of his identity. For the gospel was the truth that gave him direction and purpose in this world and, was one, of the main, and one of those main things was that God has brought peace between Jew and Gentile through faith in Christ. He wanted the Gentiles also to see themselves in that same light, in that same way, to find their identity in Christ now by faith in Him, that Christ had died to be their everything and to bring them into His family, which now Paul was a Jew who was also of that family. And if being in physical prison revealed that, then so be it. For it was the gospel truth that Christ is the Savior of all men by faith in Him. So how does that apply then to you and me? You're like, okay. Well, think of it this way. Everything you are and do should be seen in the light of Christ since you have faith in Him. Or if you have faith in Him. If you don't, I hope you do. So that you do not see your life as the world dictates it. Nor for our context should we see each other as the world wants us to. We should see our life in the hands of Christ and how everything is now being used to point us to trust in him more and more every day. But for our context, we should see our life being worked in such a way by our Lord, no matter what's going on, as him unifying us with each other, as his one people, more and more every day, rather than to separate from each other as the world wants us to and be divided and be segregated from each other. Paul was willing to be put into prison to make sure that message got out. He says, I'm with those people, us. See, we, like Paul, should see our lives as prisoners of Christ to do whatever he wills. For in him we have true freedom from this world and we reveal that freedom in Christ by coming together in unity with one another in the Lord despite our differences, showing we are one people in Jesus Christ. Now as we move on to the next verse, you you may notice something here in your Bibles at the end of verse 1. There's this thing, a little dash and what this, mean is, what this means is basically Paul just kind of like stops his prayer <laughs> in just like mid-sentence. It's just like, bloop. And then he won't pick up this prayer back to the end, uh, uh, not until verse 14. So like he goes on, he just like changes mind. So Paul stops here in mid-thought in his written prayer and then like elaborates on this, on his calling to preach the good news to the Gentiles, to, to elaborate on this aspect of being one in Jesus that he's being willing to put in prison for. In verse 2, he writes, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul basically starts off saying that most, if not all of you, have now heard the stewardship of God's grace that changed his life, which just means that they have heard the commission and the life dedication of declaring the gospel message to the Gentiles that Paul now had It wasn't something that Paul was originally trying to obtain with his life. He wasn't personally prepping his whole life to 
come up with this message. In fact, he was prepping his whole life to do the exact opposite. Paul's life was originally all about a mission of persecuting who believed in this gospel message. But unknown to him, God was preparing him to accomplish God's own mission, to reveal the grace of God to all people. Paul says that it was given to me. God chose Paul by his grace alone, for there was nothing in Paul that was about promoting Christ or the Christian faith, but only destroying it. But God nonetheless, out of his love for sinners such as Paul, God graciously and lovingly chose Paul to proclaim the very gospel he was trying to destroy. Now notice he says, given given to me for you. God gave him a very special mission of telling the world, specifically the world of Gentiles, what God has done for them through the cross of Jesus Christ. So his whole life was graciously, graciously changed by this message, and he was to take this gracious message to all the world. He had this stewardship of proclaiming the gospel of God's grace now with his whole life. Now you might say, well, that's nice for Paul, but well, how does that apply to me? Well, on a very practical level, the truth of God's word is not just meant to be kept for yourself once you accept Christ but is meant to be given to all. Now, obviously not with the same authority with Paul. You ain't apostles, I'm sorry. You may want to be, but you're not. But the principle here is that we, we were not just saved for ourselves to escape the wrath of God and experience His love, but to bring that message of the gospel of God's grace that changed us to all those around us in whatever context or capacity we can. That may mean handing out tracts. It may mean texting someone, calling someone. See, we are also stewards of God's saving grace in our life. God chose us to be set free from this world. So though we are in the world, we are not of the world. We are to live in such a way that the name of Jesus is magnified and glorified in all that we say or do. To reveal that his grace is enough for us and for the world. Our life context should be one that points to Jesus. That he has died for us sinners and set us free by his grace as we rest and live in his grace. So all of our time and our money and our gifts and our everything about us, our families, whatever we do, all of our hobbies is all summed up in revealing to all that we have the favor of God upon us and our trust is in Him alone and not in our things or in our stuff or in our personal health or in our life circumstances or in our government or whatever, but only in Christ alone and His finished work on our behalf. That he is the one who gives us our identity, our security, our hope, our peace, our direction and purpose. Everything we do is to say that Christ is better. That he saved sinners who rely upon his grace every day we have been, and that we have been brought into his family to uplift each other and to serve each other in that message when we gather together. Christ is better. 
And we, as a family and individuals, we say to the world that they too can join us and have this wonderful unity of peace, direction, and purpose with each other and God if they place their faith in Christ alone. It gives you direction and purpose. For no matter who you are, if you are saved, I don't care how old you are, how much you think you know, whatever your personality type is, if you are saved, you are also a steward of God's grace for the world to see the wonders of His grace that they can have if they place their faith in Christ. So then Paul goes on to a bit of detail of the stewardship that, had, that God had given him. How at one time he did not know about this gospel, but once he understood it or once he placed his faith in it, it changed everything about him. And this brings us to our second point. Dwell on the mystery of Christ now revealed because it is there to be studied and appreciated. Verse 3, he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now, as we look at this verse, it's important to see what he, it's important to understand what he means by mystery. So the mystery here is a, a special revelation. Basically, the stuff that cannot be known about God or what he's doing without him revealing it to us. We would not be able to find it on our own, no matter how smart or how many great minds come together. We would, not, we would always be in the dark about it unless God reveals it to us, just like he revealed it to Paul. As he says, it was made known to me by revelation as I as written briefly. Christ came to Paul in a direct revelation face to face as stated in Acts chapter 9, and, and Jesus revealed to him that he was the Savior of both Jews and Gentiles. And that revelation of Christ being the Savior of both Jews and Gentiles to make them one in him, it was that new message and that message that Paul has been writing in the letter up to this point, which is why he says, as I have written briefly. He's like, I've been writing about this. This is special revelation that this, this special revelation or mystery was not meant to be kept a secret anymore, but it was the exciting news of hope and peace for all men now. Which is why not only Paul was telling all people with his life, but also he was writing about it. This mystery is meant to be known by all people and not kept a secret, as he says in verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. This insight... This revelation was not just a personal emotional high, but it was a life-changing truth of what Jesus had accomplished. This was the truth now, the gospel truth that this world needed to hear and understand, for it was the only thing that could save the world and mankind. So in verse 4, Paul is saying that people can know what he knows about Jesus, which is why he wrote it down. Hence he says, when you read this, and you will perceive into my insights into Christ. Paul's being very blunt and basically saying for all of us that when you read the Bible, you can see that God has a love for sinners. He has grace for sick, wretched, perverted, unholy, unholy filthy people, and he loves them, and that's why he sent his son to die for them. And God wants you to know that, and he wants all people to know that. You're not going to come up with that on your own. And that's the message that changed Paul. 
that Christ came not just for sinful Jews, but also sinful far-off Gentiles to make them one in faith, by faith in Christ. Paul wants the Ephesians, or really all who read his letter, to see the significance of the gospel message that he written about. Not just to see it as a common thing or another idea or another Christmas holiday, but something that is precious and unique and life-changing, something that uplifts our hearts when things go wrong in our life and gives us rest to our souls when we mess up and creates peace in our minds when guilt comes flooding in and gives us hope when the world just seems so dark. Paul is saying, look, this message of grace, dwell on it, Learn it, speak about it, write about it, center your your life to know it more and more every day. For you have something so special that is so much bigger than anything you can imagine or bigger than anything that you are facing or dealing with. For none of that matters in light of this. For, For you have the keys to freedom from this world of sin and death. You have the gospel message. It's all gonna be okay. You're going to heaven. God is with you. So never take it for granted. It's all working out in your favor. Which is why he says in verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul here is saying God's plan of salvation has finally come into fruition. But this was something that not everyone in the Old Testament fully understood as Paul does now, or as we do now. The Old Testament people, the sons of men and other other generations, did not have this amazing insight into salvation. Now, real quick, this doesn't mean that the Old Testament never spoke of salvation coming to the Gentiles. It does not mean... I mean, mean, it does speak about the Gentiles being saved. I mean, you can look at Genesis Genesis chapter 26, verse 4, when Paul says to Abraham, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and give to your offspring these lands and 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 in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You know, Isaiah speaks of the Gentiles also being saved in Isaiah 19, 25. It says... Whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, strange, my people, and Assyria, strange, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Oh, yeah, that's normal. But the Old Testament people did not see clearly that when the Savior would come, he would unite. This is the part they didn't understand. He would unite both Jews and Gentiles as one with the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their life. They did not see that the Savior would get rid of the two men, Jews and Gentiles, and make them one into one new man and place them on equal footing with each other before God. That's what they didn't understand or see, just as Paul didn't understand either. But that's the revelation that has now been revealed, as Paul says in verse 5, revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, by him, real quick, by using holy for both apostles and prophets, that term, holy, Paul's not saying that they were sinless because Paul, who wrote this letter, was an apostle, and he says he was the foremost of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. And Paul had to rebuke Peter, who's also called Cephas, in Galatians 
to 11 because he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles because he thought they were lower. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So holy just means uncommon. They had been set apart for this special service in revealing the truth, whether by speech or letter to all the world. And just like Paul, it was not by their own personal preference or their, but, or their own thoughts, but simply by the inspiration of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. God gave the Holy Spirit to these men to give insight on how to read the Old Testament in light of what Christ has done, in light of the gospel. And they had written it down for us now. They had written this amazing revelation of God in Scripture, hence the New Testament. So we now have the full revelation of God's plan of salvation found in his word in both Old and New Testament. So what does this mean then on a practical level for you? We're coming to an end here. It means that if you have faith in Christ, you too have the Holy Spirit within you to help you understand the gospel message of God's grace deeper and deeper by the hearing of the word or reading of the inspired word of God. Paul did say in verse 4 that you can perceive my insight, meaning that you can see the wonders of the gospel if you just take the time to dwell in his word. Not that you're going to get new revelations, don't go there, but you will understand the new revelation or the revelation that has been finally revealed to us in his word deeper and deeper every day. You'll understand the gospel message. And see how it applies to your life more and more. The more you study God's word, you will have a deeper appreciation and insight as to what was truly accomplished upon the cross for you. That, you, that truly you are saved by grace alone. That Jesus truly has done everything for you. So you just need to rest in him by faith. For he is fully taking care of you now through faith in him alone. That by his grace alone, by his work done for you, you have been truly united with him in his family. So Paul makes sure that no one then could mistake what this mystery was, which was now fully revealed. He, Paul just straight up, defi- uh, straight up defines this mystery for us. He says in verse 6, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this is what made the gospel so controversial. Controversial. And why Paul kept getting put into prison. Paul says that the Gentiles are now fellow co-equal heirs of God. That both Jew and Gentile get the same blessings of God through faith in Christ alone. Christ has changed absolutely everything. And this brings us to our last point. Dwell on the mystery of Christ now revealed because it alone brings true unity. That even though God had no past relationship or history with the Gentiles like he did with the Jews, God out of his grace through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross now made both Jew and Gentile of equal status before him. It was an alliance of Jew and Gentiles or some prestigious agreement between Jew and Gentile. No, it was a complete new creation, a melting of the two groups into one by faith in Christ. All who place their faith in Christ are now one body of believers, equally justified before God and equally partakers of the Holy Spirit in our life and will equally share in the glory of heaven. 
God now equally dwells with those who place their faith in Christ. He sees them and treats them as his fully loved children in his family and gives them his full blessings no matter who they are or what they have done. For if they have faith in Christ, they are his. So what does all this mean then? It means this, that we are now one in Christ, and this is not something that we have to create. This is what we are. This, this has been created for us by Jesus by His grace over us through faith in Him. We are one family of God. This is the truth we are now to embrace through faith in Christ and realize that the people who are in this room, who are believers in Christ, who have different views than you on politics, who have different views than you on medical practices of the day, who have different views of where our country is heading, and the list can go on and on. There's lots to argue about. Understand this. Unlike what the world tells you, they are not your enemy. But they are your family in Christ, who, are, who you are to love and cherish and uplift and unite with in the grace of God for Christ has overcome all those things that would keep you separated. That if there's someone who constantly rubs you the wrong way, maybe they are a weaker or immature Christian, maybe their culture or personality aggravates you and irritates you. No one's ever like that, right? Everyone loves me. You laugh, it's like, yeah, no, no way. No. Understand this, they are not your project to change to your liking. No, they are your brother and sister or sister in Christ the Lord to love and unite with in the name of Jesus. For he has overcome all those things that would keep you separated. When we gather together, we declare that our Lord and Savior has overcome the world, but also that He has overcome all the walls of separation that the world wants and tries to put up between us all. And it's working hard right now. And with open hands, we are to invite all to come with us. That's what the world doesn't want. To invite all to come with us, to unite in the name of Jesus by faith in Him. For He has truly conquered everything so we can rest and fellowship with each other by faith in Him. Despite our differences. So as we take the Lord's Supper today, let it be a reminder that we are united as a family, one family, one people who are saved by His grace alone. So let us take the Lord's Supper.